Good morning. I'm so glad you're in worship today. Last Sunday, we had such a great resurrection celebration, and I want to thank all the volunteers, the musicians and vocalists, ushers, greeters, all the hospitality folks, all the staff and the production people, everyone who helped and served. What a great team. I mean, Easter is like our Super Bowl Sunday for the church. It's, it's kind of the high point of the Christian year, right? So the Sunday after Easter can naturally feel a little bit like a letdown. I mean, uh, especially for preachers. I mean, last Sunday it was great to preach to over 1,200 people, but, you know, this isn't my first rodeo, so I know that this Sunday we'll probably have half of that in worship, half. Now, in my mind, it should be the other way around. We ought to have more people on worship the Sunday after Easter than on Easter itself. Well, why? Because if people really understood the power of the resurrection, if they really took to heart the mission Jesus gave to be disciples who make new disciples, if we really got it, then this past week we've been out there enthusiastically sharing the love of Jesus with folks in, in relevant and engaging ways and, and inviting people to worship today. I mean, when was the last time you invited someone to join you in worship, a new neighbor, a friend, uh, someone who you know is spiritually seeking? When was the last time you invited someone new to join you in worship? Uh, that's something to think about if we take seriously Jesus' invitation to be his representative, his ambassador, his envoys to our local community. Our local mission is to invite people into a life-changing relationship with the risen Lord to share with people the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I like the way our new national denomination, the, the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, which is nicknamed ECO, or the ECO, I like the way they put it in their mission statement. It's so simple. It's to build flourishing churches that make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only reason they exist as an organization, to help the local church flourish to help local congregations fulfill their calling to make disciples, to make true followers of Jesus. And I really like that word flourishing. It's such a refreshing, kind of life-giving word to flourish, to grow, develop, to be healthy and vigorous, to multiply, proliferate, increase, to thrive, to prosper. All the synonyms are so positive and life-affirming. And for the last couple of months, I've been reflecting on some of the imagery in the Bible about this life-giving, life-enhancing relationship that we can have with Christ. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these biblical ways of describing what it means to be a healthy, thriving disciple of Jesus. Or we're calling this new message series, Growing in Hope. And each week, we'll take a different vantage point to look at what it means to flourish in our relationship with Christ through the vine, the light, the bread, the sheep, and this week, the olive tree. I really like this image of the olive tree found in Psalm 52. Psalm 52 is an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory means the writer is really angry about something, usually someone, and he's asking God to smite them, to pour out God's divine judgment, calamity, curses upon them because they're enemies of God. And really just wants God to wipe them off the face of the earth. Imprecatory psalms are just honest anger turned to prayer. We're not supposed to necessarily agree with the psalmist in his sayings, what he's saying, because God usually doesn't do what the psalmist wants. We're supposed to see that it's okay to let your anger out through prayer. And in Psalm 52, David is angry at a particularly loathsome human being named Doeg the Edomite. He's just this murderous, slimy slug. Uh, you could read the whole story in 1 Samuel 
22. In his paranoid dementia, the king Saul has his death squads hunting David. And it's Doeg the Edomite who does King Saul's dirty work, kills everybody who shows any kindness to David. And while he's on the run, David pens these beautiful, very poetic words which contrast his life with that of Doeg. After trash and Doeg, David writes this, starting in verse 8. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. An olive tree. Why is this idea of an olive tree just a good image for us to use in describing what it means to be a flourishing follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know a lot about trees, but I think it's pretty easy to figure out when a tree is healthy and flourishing and when it's not. This is a photo of the tree in my front yard. It's a plum tree. We planted it after my mother passed away about 18 years ago, and this is what it used to look like. It's easy to tell it is not flourishing, right? For the last few years, it's been battling a fungus called black knot that attacks many different kinds of fruit trees. And even with pruning and spraying, we've not been able to eradicate the fungus. And last year's windstorms just kind of did a lot of damage to the tree, sort of did it in. So it is not flourishing, far from it, and we're going to have to cut it down. With trees, it's easy to tell when they're not healthy, when they're not flourishing. How easy is it to tell with people? Maybe with some homeless person you see passed out in a doorway in Manhattan. Well, that's easy to see. Easy to see they're not flourishing. This is a picture of Mario. He's one of the children that we support in our house at the Amistad Orphanage in Cochabamba, Bolivia. When Mario was less than a year old, the Bolivian social services took him from his impoverished home because he was so badly malnourished he was starving to death. Spent more than six months at a special feeding center before he could come to live at Amistad. And, you know, you can measure a child's weight and height and you can see what's going on. And now Mario is thriving. He's flourishing. But what about people in kind of our community? It's not so easy. We're pretty good at hiding things. We're pretty sophisticated at keeping up appearances. Our affluence helps us to conceal what might really be going on. I remember years ago dealing with a married couple from outside the church who came to me very briefly for marriage counseling. They lived in a $2 million home in Short Hills, had luxury cars, real estate, Ivy League educations, impressive jobs, money in the bank, and they were living in hell with each other. None of what they owned could buy them any happiness in their relationship. They claimed to be Christian. On the outside, they were the perfect suburban family with genius children who were also going to be Division I athletes and musical protégés. You know, on the inside... They were verbally abusive towards each other, controlling, mean, spiteful, hateful, venomous. I mean, just really toxic. And I asked both of them the same one question I ask in marriage counseling. Are you willing to work on improving your marriage by changing your own behavior? Well, they never came back. That's an extreme example of how hard it is to really know from the outside if someone is really flourishing in life. People ask, how you doing? We say, fine, great, even when we know we're not fine or great. And if we add a whole other level of complexity by asking, you know, if you are flourishing in your relationship with Christ, how are you doing 
with the Lord. Fine, great. When we know we haven't cracked open the Bible in months, our prayers are dry and powerless, our sense of service, you know, ministry feels like an obligation, just a duty rather than serving Christ with kind of joy for the journey. How does the image of an olive tree help us to look at that? Well, what I've discovered is that olive trees are pretty fascinating. For at least 6,000 years, the production of olive oil has been an important part of life in the Mediterranean world. I mean, olives are just throughout life. They're, they're eaten as part of the regular diet. I mean, olive oil is used for so many different things, cooking, seasoning. I, I would guess probably every kitchen represented here this morning has a bottle of extra virgin olive oil in it. It was used in lamps to provide light. It was taken internally as medicine for asthma, allergies, other kinds of maladies. Olive oil is used as a salve for, for wounds. It, it's functioned as a lubricant for axles and hinges and other simple tools. Olive trees really connect us with the richness of Scripture because it's, it's all over Scripture. The first olive uh, tree is mentioned is in Genesis 8:11 when the dove comes back to Noah with an olive leaf in its beak, signifying that there was dry land, and the olive tree became a symbol of God's covenant peace, God's shalom or wholeness given to Noah. Olive oil became symbolic of God's blessing, was used by Israel in all its ceremonies for kings and priests when they were anointed with oil as a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we find olive trees throughout the Bible as an expression of God's blessing and goodness. Deuteronomy 8, when Moses was leading the people of Israel through the desert, to the promised land, God gave him this description of the blessing that awaited them. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Deuteronomy 8, 7. And in the New Testament, where did Jesus go after his last supper with the disciples? Well, to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Ever wonder what the word Gethsemane means? It's the word for an olive press. Jesus went to the garden of the olive press. The Apostle Paul uses the image of an olive tree in Romans 11 to describe how we non-Jewish people are grafted into God's plan of salvation through Israel. Israel is the true olive tree, and if we're not Jews, Jewish, we're, we're grafted in. One reason olive trees and their produce have become such symbols is because they are really tough. They are hardy, sturdy, tenacious, especially in the hard soil and inhospitable land in the Middle East. They can grow in almost any condition, on terraced hillsides and valleys, on rocks. They can thrive with a minimum amount of water. They can withstand great heat or cold. They can really live a long time. Arborists estimate that the, some of the olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane are 2,000 years old. Some olive trees in Italy are even older than that. It is one tough tree. And they produce olives for centuries as long as they're pruned correctly. So to have a flourishing, thriving olive tree, no wonder it's used as an image of, of healthy, life-giving faith. So how can this image of the olive tree help us to look at our relationship with God? Well, three things. Strong roots, fresh fruit, new shoots. Strong roots, fresh fruit, new shoots. Let's talk about roots. How many times have you heard people speaking of roots and refer to their 
family tree or to their lineage. You know, a root can be something that is our origin, our source, our base, our underlying foundation, our heart. Just as the roots speak to each of us regarding our, our history, the root system of an olive tree is its very foundation. It's lifeblood of its existence. Without healthy roots, there is no tree, no fruit, no next generation. The root system of the olive tree is actually pretty interesting because while other trees send their roots deep down into the ground, the olive tree is resilient because it has shallow but wide-spreading root system. The roots spread out from the trunk, but they're relatively close to the surface, and this allows the olive tree to collect water from the fast-drying topsoil making sure that the tree gets enough moisture to sustain itself in the arid climate. And although olive trees, uh, their roots are close to the surface, it's amazingly drought resistant. It can survive with minimal amounts of water for weeks on end. Roots are essential for the plant to have life. And likewise, an intimate connection with Christ is necessary if we want to have a full spiritual life. Just as plants exhibit signs of depending on the health of their roots, we exhibit Christ-like qualities if we draw our nourishment from Christ and his teachings. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted, built up in him. The center of a flourishing life is your connection to Christ. And I don't just mean for initial salvation, but for daily living. A tree needs water regularly, needs to be drawing water and nutrients up into the tr trunk, into the branches regularly, or it will wither and die. If we're disconnected from Christ in our daily life, then we'll really be unable to access the kind of life he wants us to have. Remember Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life, life in all its fullness, life abundant, a life that flourishes. That's Christ's desire for you. He wants to help make that happen in you. But there's no way to do that apart from knowing and ingesting the word of God. Remember the wisdom of Psalm 1? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Was the psalmist thinking of an olive tree when he wrote those words? Maybe. What does this mean for us? The simple, very basic truth that you've heard a thousand times if you've been around this church for very long. To flourish as a Christian, you have to be rooted in Christ through prayer and through daily meditation on his word. Second characteristic of a flourishing life is fresh fruit. Fresh fruit. It takes about five years before a new olive tree will produce any olives. But after that, the tree can go on and do it for hundreds of years. Olive trees are very productive. It's not an age thing. And just because you're older, you can still be very fruitful for Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 16 that we should go and bear much fruit. He wants us to be fruitful for him. And I think that means a couple of things. First, that our character and our behavior would display Christ-like qualities. Qualities that the Apostle Paul called the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
and self-control. That's why it's uh, easy to tell that that couple that I mentioned earlier who came for marriage counseling, easy to tell that they were not thriving in their marriage or their relationship with Christ because they didn't have any of those characteristics. There was no fruit of the Spirit evident in their behavior, their lives. But second, it means that our experience with Christ, to have fresh fruit, means that it has to be current. There needs to be something fresh each and every day, each season of life. Because too many Christians kind of rely on the experience of God from their past to kind of just get them through. What their relationship was like with Christ years ago, even back when they were you know, teens or in college, the good old days when faith was easier. No, our relationship with Christ needs to be current, needs to be up-to-date, needs to be fresh in order to be alive. It's like the food that God gave to the Israelites when they were wandering the desert, the manna. No one really knows what manna was, but we're told the Israelites had to go out and pick it up every day. There was no hoarding the manna, no storing it up for the future. It only lasted one day and then it went bad. It's the same with us now. You can't get by on yesterday's experiences of God. We have to stay fresh with Him. And that also goes back to those basic spiritual habits of prayer and Bible study, worship, fellowship, service. The places where you encounter God and encounter other people. Are you having new experiences with the Lord? Or are you just relying on your faith that happened years ago? And lastly, new shoots. New olive trees actually spring up from the roots of the tree. Examine any olive tree and you'll see 10 or more new shoots coming up right out of the ground because the new trees come from the root system. Like Psalm 1, Psalm 128 describes the life of a person God's blesses. And, and it says in verse 3, your children will be like olive shoots all around the table. New life springing up. Is there new life springing up in your faith? Are you influencing anyone positively for Christ? Is there someone you can point to and know that you've helped them grow in their faith? Are you, are you having any spiritual babies? Are you making any new disciples? Are you helping to grow an orchard of olive trees that can all flourish for the Lord? Strong roots, fresh fruit, new shoots. Are you flourishing in your relationship with Christ? I hope so. None of us has arrived. None of us does this perfectly. As we've said before, we're always looking for progress, not perfection. So the real question is, are we moving in the right direction? Are we moving closer to Christ, or have we been drifting away? Is our faith kind of getting larger and expanding, or is, or is our sense of faith shrinking, getting smaller? Do we have a sense of hope in our lives that's growing, that God is at work and that we have something to look forward to? Or do we have a sense of weakness where we're kind of always looking backwards, where we don't trust in a good future? Do we have a godly sense of confidence, kind of positive godly self-esteem, or are we kind of nervous and anxious and consumed by our worries or negative thoughts? All of these things are kind of a way to do a self-check. They're subjective, but they kind of help you maybe understand how you're feeling about your relationship with the Lord, and this is a good time to do that kind of self-check as we go forward into this preaching series on the other images of a life-giving, life-enhancing faith. Are you flourishing? Let me just recite again that portion of Psalm 52 and listen. Listen to the life-giving word. Emulate David's faith, how he trusts and how he's thankful, how he waits for the good that God wants to do in his life. I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. 
For what have you done? For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Let's grow together. Let's be an olive grove for the Lord. Let's flourish in our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you give us a lot of different ways to try and describe this life of faith. And I pray that we would all feel that our roots are going into you, deeply into your word, that, that we're bearing fruit in our character and in our lives, and that we have new shoots developing around us, that we're bringing new life to others, we're impacting our community, we're, we're on mission for you to make disciples, Lord. Help our church just to be this, this wonderful olive grove of flourishing trees just for you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.